A conversation with Solvay Biddle. This is the Tech Space brought to you by Alex Partners, a European founder-led executive search consultancy. Hello, I'm Kira Owen, European partner at Alex Partners, and I'm really excited to welcome you to the second episode in our podcast series focusing on women in technology. Today we are joined by Solvay Biddle. Solvay is a lawyer, entrepreneur, Dragon's Den slayer, female business multi-award winner, board member, coach, speaker, author of leadership programs with a very strong focus on coaching and mentoring technology entrepreneurs. She holds a particular passion for supporting female entrepreneurs in technology and is a mentor and coach with Tech Nordics of Advocates, a program designed to support and mentor female technology leaders across Scandinavia. Solvay, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me, Kira. That is quite a long list of accomplishments and I'm not sure we're going to be able to cover every um, part of your career to date, but there are some extraordinary um, episodes which would be great to cover in light of building personal brand, imposter syndrome, pitching, and actually the lead on to looking at um, tech Nordic advocates and actually the Scandinavian place within technology and the work that you're doing there. So I think what might be really interesting and helpful is just to give us in a snapshot, I think the beginning of a kind of your story, as in you were a very successful corporate lawyer, um, and then you became the inventor and then CEO of products under Content and Calm, and and very then notably went on to um, pitch at uh, Dragon's Den, which we will go on to discuss in a little bit. But just talk to us briefly about how Content and Calm came about, because really interested about this product-led growth business uh, rather than product market fit business that we constantly hear about now. So over to you. Thanks, Kira. Thank you for um, the introduction. Sometimes when I hear a long list of things like that, I think, did I do those things, all of them? (laughs) And some each have sort of flowed into the other and each bit has actually helped um, uh, me get sort of to where I am now so that I can help and mentor others. Yeah, so the sort of the change really. I, I, it's, it was, um, I suppose the moment when things really, uh, went from, uh, my legal career, um, advising businesses and brands and focusing on, um, marketing and advertising and branding law after doing the corporate M&A type stuff, um, was really actually having my own children because, you know, yeah. when you're very busy, like all mothers are, no matter what their structure mm-hmm. is at home, um, yeah. you sort of assume that anything you might need, somebody else probably also has needed. And there's, yeah. um, you think you can always find what you need. And I, I just remember Googling um, something that could give my child darkness while there are other people in the room. So, for example, the trigger for us was we were going to be taking our first holiday with our daughter, um, who was a baby. And I thought, well, how's, yeah. how's that going to work? Um, in terms of if, in, it, we were going to be in a hotel first and she was going to be sharing a room with us. And I thought, well, yes, but we don't go to bed at the same time as she does. And it might be yeah. night outside when You're it's going to bed at 645. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Although maybe we should have. Um, but you know, and it's yeah. going to be light outside when it's sort of lunchtime sleep. And also, if we want to go for dinner, what about a babysitter? She doesn't want to sit in the dark. And 
you know, I, I, it's not rocket science <laughs> that children generally sleep better no. in the dark or people sleep better in the dark. Anyway, so I thought, well, I need something, you know, to go over the cot, um, got to be safe and breezy, but, you know, something there. And um, I just couldn't find anything. And I started to look at really sort of oddball ideas, like bringing with me a, kind of a mobile um, photographic tent that people use to process film. And I mean, I was finding yeah. these odd things. And I was thinking, this is, this can't be right. There must be other things out there. Um, but it turned out there wasn't. And that was really the beginning of um, deciding. The spark. Yeah, well, deciding to go from, you know, a career that, um, I, you know, you had a lot of support within within that career, and I had a fantastic PA who helped me with things. To literally jumping into the complete unknown and sitting there wondering how on earth I was going to um, create this manufacturing, design, and retail business, which is what you know what it was ultimately. You know, I'd, I'd yeah. never made something yeah. that I'd sold in my life, so um, it was a massive learning curve, and I had to learn from all those around me that knew more than me. And that was pretty much everybody. Um, so, you know, that is how, how it began. But there were all sorts of weird complications about having um, European testing standards and, and um, all sorts of approvals we needed. And then once we got into the world of selling to retail, all of the things they needed. So it, that's sort of how it began and how ultimately I'm here talking to you today. Yeah, <laughs> I w I'm really interested about that comment you made about actually, of course, you would have had a strong background in understanding contracts and the legalities and you understood what businesses did around branding. Didn't necessarily mean that you were a brand expert, but you had maybe worked in that world a little bit and understood it. But you certainly weren't a retail expert. You weren't someone who'd worked in manufacturing and had worked with Chinese factories and massive distribution networks and all those sort of things. And it really resonates. One of the things I think we might circle back to is that element of asking everyone around you and um, maybe something that we we all could learn from a little bit about actually not being afraid to ask and actually we'll come back to that a little bit later on um obviously one of the things when you look you up Solvay is that you know um, I know you don't necessarily always want to go back to it always but is the fact that you were on one of the earlier episodes or earlier series of Dragon's Den when it was um, I mean it's still going now and it's hugely successful but you obviously went and pitched and you were known to be very successful in your pitch because you got awarded the amount of money on the terms that you wanted. Um, and I'm just interested to understand because I think we've spoken before about actually at that point, of course, it seems very obvious that you go to Dragon's Den, you're going to, you could win financial investment, you could get this mentorship, but it wasn't always straightforward. There was a kind of pluses and minuses to weigh up before you went into that pitch. And I'd be interested in the sense of how you thought about it and what made that decision to go forward for it. Yes. Um, you're absolutely right, Kira. There, there are all sorts of thoughts that go through your mind. And what's actually quite funny is that when I started to go down this road of, of you know, making things and, and sort of this entrepreneurial, um, you know, journey that I began, so many people I knew, um, friends, family, um, even, you know, even people who had been clients, said, oh, you know, you should definitely go on Dragon's Den. That would be absolutely fantastic. And, they, and I said, absolutely no way. I'm not going on Dragon's Den. Why would, why would I do that? Because there are some risks. And um, those yeah. uh, there are many, but, but some of them, for example, you know, you, you're sitting in front of five people who are ultimately also competing with each other. Okay. And they also have a, a, yeah. a personality. So there's that dynamic. Yeah. And there's that dynamic as well. And, you know, 
with any product or service, not everybody's going to love it. Um, and normally, if you had that conversation um, with a person and, and they didn't like it, you know, obviously you would try and, and persuade them differently, but then you would move on. The difference here was that seven million people would be watching. And so if you've, if, you know, yeah, if they don't exactly. like it and everybody else, you know, it starts to, and, and these are experts, right? So they influence people. Yeah. And of they course. influence people's decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was the one side of, well, what if they don't like it? And the other side, um, mm. that, you know, I already had some investors and, you know, it was important yeah. to balance what, you know, where they were in, you know, in this journey. Um, yeah. and so, you know, but then of course the positives, but you don't know if they're going to be positives when you do it are things like, well, lots of yeah. people will find out about us. You know, we were a small brand. Yeah, of course. Um, doing what we felt were useful things and creating useful and helpful mm. products um, that, that it turned out that other parents, you know, wanted. But but there were definitely risk factors there. And also it was um, in the run up to it, there's a lot of, lot of stuff that goes on sort of behind the scenes. And, and you know, it, it is time consuming. And to do it right, you know, you have to put absolutely everything into it. And that's what I did. And I thought, if I'm going yeah. to do this, um, and I had been persuaded that this was going to be a good idea, um, particularly by a lady, another <laughs> yeah. mum from school who did some PR for me. And she said, oh, so well, you'd be brilliant. I definitely think you should do it. And a big decision was, you know, you've got your, your three minutes, your sort of two to three minutes to do your initial pitch. And it was a matter of which product to go out with, because by this point there was more than one. And I felt it had yeah. to be something that was very easy to understand uncontroversial yep. and quite a fun product to talk mm-hmm. about and we were just in early stages yep. of developing that I mean I didn't even have a prototype and the whole thing happened so quickly uh, uh, when it actually came <laughs> to me being chosen to be somebody who was actually going to go up in front of the dragons uh, and so it was a real kind of rush and also you don't know what's going to happen and you know that if it goes well yeah. and you don't have product that's a waste of opportunity because you don't know when they're going to yep. show the episode. Um, but on the other hand, you don't want to overorder yeah. in case it yep. does, in case it makes no difference. So there were all sorts of different mm-hmm. factors involved. But you know, it was very exciting. It certainly was an adrenaline rush, and um, I made sure I really, really got my ducks in a row so that I wouldn't embarrass myself or those that were already supporting the business. That's interesting. And we'll go on to kind of female pitching um, a little bit later, actually, um, and the, the disparity between um, female founders and, and the, the funding that they receive percentage-wise. But you've mentioned this a couple of times that you really prepared, you really thought about it, and obviously you put, your, you know, put everything into it. But what do you mean by that? Because presumably everybody thinks they've really prepared. But what would you say that that if you look back and reflect now that you think you really did well? Well, the first thing I did was I put myself in their shoes. So I imagined if I was the other side, what would I need to hear to be able to engage with with this person? What would make me part with my money? And partly, you know, before you've said a word, you've walked up there, up the scary stairs, right? And uh, before you've said anything, they're they're getting an impression of you. And so I think, uh, you know, I think you have to present yourself properly. 
I mean, these are basics, but actually really important. Um, yeah. And then yeah. I split my pitch into talking about the problem and then the solution yeah. and then the market and the opportunity and then some yeah. financials. And I, I kept it understandable, brief, because you know there's going to be more questions um, and hopefully engaging. And I think all of those, those steps about what you're going to talk about is one thing, but then how do you deliver yeah. it? And that, I think, yeah. was the key. So you have to yeah. have what I call infectious um, positivity and passion. And, and yeah. this is what I say to the, the, the people I work with now. You, you, your enthusiasm, your passion, your delivery and your credibility has to stick with that third party you're trying to engage such yeah. that they might feel in the future, let's say you're doing the same for a buyer in one of the large retailers, you want them to be talking to their colleagues saying, we're going to list this. This is yeah. great because yeah. it does this, this, and yeah. this. So it's how you present yourself, what you say, but really importantly, how you say it. That's really interesting. I think in terms of, as you say, that it's um, you can have very well prepared, have your facts and your figures, but there is an element of how you're saying it and the impression that you're creating and leading. And some of uh, some people have to work probably more consciously on things like that than other people it comes perhaps a little bit more naturally to. Um, on that note, were you conscious, and I don't know if this is fair, but were you conscious at all at that point that you might be at that point creating or might be the start of almost a personal brand as well as obviously as the CEO and um, innovator behind content and calm, but there was an element, obviously this career would evolve and, 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 and change and develop that would be part of you Solvi becoming, you know, um, a leader within kind of leadership talks and being able to present on business and fundraising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I suppose, yes, to some extent it did, particularly when it had gone well. <laughs> um, uh, and, yeah, you know, yeah. I, afterwards, yeah, afterwards, yeah. Um, I've always liked helping others and supporting other people on their journey. And, and, and I, even when I, you know, mm -hmm. in law, the trainees that we had and also just friends and family, I, I've always tried to be somebody who will actually listen, not just hear what people say. There's a difference between listening and hearing yeah. and actually listening and, um, you know, wanting to perhaps offer some, some thoughts and ideas that, I've learned from lived experience um, and what I've seen from the companies and the people I've worked with, because really it's about supporting people not to end up in the pitfalls that I ended up in, because, you know, it's not always just a positive yeah. journey um, and sharing that. Mm -hmm. But even when you are in that world of, of leadership coaching and mentoring and, and advising, you're always learning. You're learning from everyone around you. And it, it's about amassing that knowledge and learned experience that really helps you to be able to approach a challenge or an opportunity for somebody else with some sort of clarity and be able to break that down and look at what the options are. Obviously, your career has evolved. And um, as you said, they're actually wanting to um, share in your the successes and the things that you've learned from the pros, the cons, the ups and the downs. And you have particular, um, I suppose, leadership work that you do and speaking and mentorship and coaching 
um, in the entrepreneurial space. And I know that we've spoken a lot before about, you know, your work with Tech Nordic advocates, which is particularly interesting. Um, just give us a little bit of a sense of who Tech Nordics are um, and who's involved and, uh, and what is the purpose of, of, the, of the group? Yeah, I mean, the purpose really is it's all about accelerating Nordic and Baltic tech startups and scale up growth. Um, and there are various countries um, that are part of this, but then there's a sort of larger kind of global tech advocates organization. Um, but where I came to it, um, so my slightly strange sounding name is because my mother was <laughs> Danish and I was born there um, and uh, have a close connection with um, things Danish and Scandinavian. I think once you have that within you, it's something that just doesn't go. And um, so I was approached, it's going to be coming up nearly three years now, um, by um, the uh, Tech Nordic Advocates uh, Danish uh, organization who were really working with a women in tech program. And yeah. um, asked if I would consider being a mentor. Uh, and um, the mm -hmm. idea of uh, mentoring the businesses, female-led tech businesses, is it's it's the support, it's the structure. There's um, help and um, information around funding. There's a lot of uh, network that goes along with it. But for me, it was about being a mentor. And um, yeah. looking to support and move forward the mentees who I've worked with. And, and the programs are yeah. split into um, various different cohorts. Um, and generally speaking, the mentee will be at a different stage of development in their journey of their business. Um, yeah. And they have mm -hmm. already been through a, a sort of vetting process by TNA. So by the time they get to yeah. somebody like me, um, the idea is that, you know, yeah. they are viable and, and there's something to mentor. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's something there. There's something there. And then uh, it's about supporting them on their journey. And I know that people have different styles of mentorship. Um, for me and what I have learned and I suppose even more so with female-led businesses. Of course, you're looking at the business challenges and the things that and the opportunities that are there and, and how to navigate those. But it's a lot about the individual. When you are a founder, it's, yeah. it can be a very lonely journey. Um, and so the whole coaching side of it, um, and I've been involved in coaching since um, the uh, birth of my second child, my son, and then I, I uh, got coaching qualifications because I've always enjoyed, you know, what is it that makes someone yep. tick and how can you support the individual? Mm -hmm. Because you can have a fantastic business with amazing ideas, but if the individual doesn't have that courage and confidence to really take it forward, because as yep. you grow, yep. the challenges become bigger and, yep. uh, you know, the opportunities do too. But the challenges become bigger yeah. um, and it can be very all-consuming. So uh, there's a, a lot of sort of coaching that goes along with that mentorship, certainly for my mentees. And, um, you know, they seem to thrive with that. And that's something that I yeah. like to bring to my 
um, you know, my mentoring. So that's really what we've been doing. And particularly, um, it's been the da- some Danish, uh, business, female led businesses and also now, um, some Finnish, uh, businesses. Yeah. Um, and I am always absolutely amazed by the fantastic ideas that, um, that, that, that these female founders have. Great. It's really interesting. And um, this has come up a few times recently um, because we've been talking about, you know, the Scandinavian growth and obviously um, Sweden, I think, as you know, um, has got a strong um, background in, in over the, the last um, 20 years or so and really driving innovative um, technology businesses. And they're now seen as, I think, the fifth largest kind of pool of the next five un- next unicorns in Europe or whatever it be. Um, but equally, going back to kind of the female piece, which where you're involved, is that there's actually, I think it was actually a Danish venture group, um, Unconventional Ventures, which did a report recently, I think in the last um, few, few months, which highlighted that just 1.1% of venture funding in the Nordics goes to female-led ventures. And given that we all um, associate Scandinavian countries with far greater equality and equity of opportunity, and that's just something from our first uh, podcast, the, the the balance of equality and equity of opportunity, we particularly think is stronger in, in Scandinavia, given societal sharing of family duties, affordable childcare, um, the, the work-life balances that established, that it's still woefully low and um, hasn't moved forward in the last five or six years. Um, and but in the same vein, the same report shows that female-led teams outperformed the um, male-led teams by revenue by almost forty-five percent in terms of revenues. So, if you're a female founder, and in, you'd imagine that investment, you know, is very data-driven, and maybe this highlights that it isn't completely data-driven. Why are female-led teams not? Um, getting significantly more investment or percentage of the investment when they walk in the room, because I, you know, based on that knowledge, you think, ah, oh, female-led firm walks in. If you're looking at my data, I'd say, well, that's plus five in the in the plus column, isn't it? Um, and there's lots of reasons why, but I'd be interested to kind of get your thoughts on kind of two or three of the areas that you think are interesting, um, and we can expand a little bit more because it's obviously not unique to Scandinavia, but it does stand out because of what we think, oh, well, the, the societal sort of structure is probably a little bit more evolved <laughs> than in other areas. Yes, you're absolutely right, Kira. I mean, it's what every time I'm in Denmark, and I was there last week, actually, again, um, you know, there is incredible uh, support around the family and, and, you know, having children and a uh, a lack of 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 bias um between male yeah. and female parents and parenting and and it's and it's something that should be actually a, completely applauded and something that we should all be striving to move Absolutely. towards because there is there is that equality um but uh it's very interesting that that you um reference that piece of research because recently when I was at the launch of the 2023 Nordic program in Copenhagen in January there were a number of eminent people who were there on the panel and lots of uh, you know interesting speakers um, responsible for funding and responsible for structure and global organizations and all this sort of thing and and exactly that research was being discussed um, and a point that I made um, during discussion there was exactly as you've just said, um, you know, 
if you're a female founder and you're out there pitching, because we were talking about pitching uh, for finance and investment, yeah. um, you know, that 5% in the box, because you are a female founder, you would have thought gets you a little way over the line. And of course, it's not everything. But if you have uh, statistics mm. of that sort, when you are responsible for investing others' money, yeah. VC or whatever it might be, you would have thought that that might be a, a tick in the box. And bear in mind that statistic of 1.1%. There is something going on there. And the point I made was yeah. that either um, that's the statistic of the 45% uh, increase in revenue outperformance, either isn't believed or it mm-hmm. isn't people don't want to believe it. And it strikes me that um, there are all sorts of layers underneath that um, about why someone may or may not want to believe that. But um, some of the themes that came up, and I mean, there are many, but when you, um, as you know, are are pitching for investment, there's the demographic demographic of the people you're um, pitching to. And it it often could be partly that. Um, and a fear that is not verbalized that the female founder um, who is who's pitching to you may have other commitments in her life, maybe won't have the time. Um, and when, let's say, there are five businesses pitching and three of them aren't felt are felt to be safer, even if the idea maybe yep. with the female founder possibly was more exciting or better or or, or whatever it might be or viable yeah. uh, you know yeah. it's about i think that concept of oh is this a safe investment and some people you know there are investors who mm. do want to go for things that are that are perhaps less safe in the sense that they could be they're newer they're more innovative or whatever they may be but i think there's there's something mm-hmm. there about about the demographic of the people you're pitching to and a, an unconscious yeah. bias that's there um, and a societal mm-hmm. bias, even even in a very equal society, about what motherhood involves and what that maybe should look yes. like. Yep. And that leads me on yep. to uh, another key factor. As I say, there are other things, but I think something that we need to address and talk about when we talk about female founders and um, women in business is what the individual themselves feels about what they're doing. And, you know, is there a sense of self-doubt around this? You know, am I giving enough Mm -hmm. time to everything that goes on in my life? Do I really have the time to do this? And Mm -hmm. not only just time, so that sort of eats into possibly self-belief. Is this, you know, is this actually right? Am I good enough to do this? And I think often that, am I good enough? Uh, You know, I hear this. Um, from the most incredible female founders that have really, really good knowledge about what they are trying to do and what they are bringing to market, mm-hmm. particularly often because it's uh, what, what they're doing now is they are creating an entrepreneurial business based on knowledge and credibility built elsewhere in their career, previous career, whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Yeah. And really, it it's some the summing up of that, and I know you know we're all, it gets talked about a lot. Is this imposter syndrome? You know, you're there yeah. pitching mm-hmm. for money for a business that's entrepreneurial, but you don't consider yourself an entrepreneur. 
and and it and it eats away. And I think that that is something that all of us women need to deal with ourselves. There's a lot within us that we can do to change that. So I think there are definitely things Mm -hmm. out there that don't make it any easier. And the unconscious bias and the demographic of the decision makers and all of those sorts of things. But we need to be responsible for ourselves as well. And um, we need to think Mm -hmm. about what are the things that can make us feel more confident and courageous about the steps we're now taking? And amongst lots of things, one of the most powerful things is to think about things that you have done well and that you have succeeded in and why you have that credibility piece. Yeah. Um, and almost training yeah. yourself to believe it and then helping with your delivery when you're talking to people of coming across in that way that sells that self-confidence um, and that credibility. Yeah. Because, of course, that that's needed with any third party or stakeholder that you want to engage. Yeah. You know, you need to be able to, yeah, not to just make the people them you're raising. feel confident. That's it. And you want them to feel confident yeah. in, in your abilities yeah. and whatever it is you're trying to you're you're trying to create and deliver. You know, and I've certainly seen that myself when I've when I've gone out and and, mm-hmm. and engaged um third parties. So I think that there are a number of themes within why there isn't a greater yeah. investment in female yes. businesses. Um, and I think just one of the things, just to finish off that that area that we're discussing is, and there are many female founders who are at this launch, and I said, well, the first thing that you might want to be thinking about is that statistic of the 45% um, you know, outperformance in terms of revenue and make that yeah, part of what you, what you talk about. Uh, and the, yeah. the sort of look yeah. of, oh, no, I can't possibly say that. I wouldn't want to say that. I, you, but why not? You have to also, yeah. you know, you have to sell yourself and your product and brand. But you've got to, you know, sing sing the things that have gone well. You've got to sing loudly and clearly about yeah. what goes well. And, and you've got to put as many keys in your basket as you can as to things that unlock the doors. Mm-hmm. And don't be embarrassed to do it. It's fascinating because it's such a huge, um, huge subject, you know, and as you said, we could be here for for three days probably d- discussing everything. But I think there's interesting elements there to sort of highlight, which is if we start with the first thing you said, which is that subconscious societal bias. Um, and as much as it might impact a potentially a male led um, equity investors and, and the advisors around it, I think the, I think only 15% of people globally who write the checks are, are, are female. Um, that might impact, obviously, um, uh, the piece. So it's safer to invest in who we know and what we know. But also that in probably impacts individuals as well, that we are perhaps as women um, or have been brought up to be maybe a little politer, less pushy in some ways, don't be seen to be too bossy or feisty and all those sort of things that sort of sit in the back of your back of your mind. So I think that impacts everyone and everyone has a, um, you know, the individual as well as the the funds themselves have a part to play within how, how to evolve that as well. One of the other things that actually, I think that um, there was a, a Forbes um, um, article recently of covering the same thing, but obviously from a more kind of American focused area, but it was really about actually access that, um, that they found that other things impacted. It was that uh, arguably men had greater access to mentoring and leadership or professional and personal networks around them that they could not even just leverage in terms of um, uh, gaining investment in terms of confidence building or whatever it be. And I think that, again, when we talk about what people can, women can do for themselves, 
um, in terms of trying to build up this, you know, the keys in the pot, as you say, is proactively seek mentorship, coaching, female leadership, female-led kind of equity, all, all that kind of piece to proactively seek that piece because, and those that are leaders and are successful to um, be, to champion themselves um, because the more females that see that, but also the more people who write the checks that see that, obviously would hopefully tip the balance a little bit more. It doesn't strike me now speaking to you, and I know that Dragonstone was, you know, a while ago now, but did you, have you ever suffered from imposter syndrome? Because to the outside world, you'd say no, but it's interesting whether there's a element of that's a learned behavior. That's something you've invested in yourself about. Here's the thing. Uh, I actually, I think one of the things that has helped me along my journey is that I think I sort of lacked imposter syndrome um, in the sense that I always thought, I always, even as a child, I, I always thought, well, if somebody else can do it, why can't I? And and why can't I? Yeah. Know, everybody, we all started as babies who did not have innate knowledge of all sorts of things. And we've all had no. to learn. And therefore, why would one individual necessarily um, have all of that toolkit to create an entrepreneurial business or be a lawyer or whatever it might be. And, you know, why shouldn't I do that? So I think that has actually been one of the things that's really helped yeah. me along the way. But along with that has been, um, and in, you know, uh, the more difficult and the more challenges you come across is really being very honest with yourself about when you don't know and being willing to ask for help. That's really interesting because you said that quite early on in our conversation about actually going from being a corporate lawyer, very successful, obviously, um, but then going into effectively, you had to learn on the job, literally, in setting up a major manufacturing retail business. And you said, you know, you weren't afraid to ask and you had to upskill yourself very quickly. And I wonder as well, you know, whether that's something that... Um, we could all benefit from in that sense because there's a, always a sense of not wishing to ask or not wishing to perceive to not know. And I think there's a confidence that comes, isn't there, in actually being able to say, oh, I don't know. Could you help me? I don't I don't know. Um, and I think that is confidence as well, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and what I have certainly seen during my journey and hopefully have helped others to see that that this is really the case is that most people are very willing and happy and enthusiastic to give advice. So if you ask for it, yes. it will be yes. there. Yeah. <laughs> and it may not yeah. be from the first person that you talk to, or, or, or maybe that person um, won't have that rapport with you where, where you feel that, 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 that the advice is something that necessarily you you will continue to engage with that person um going forward but but because you know sometimes when when you ask for somebody advice that they come they might just say how successful it or how easy it was for them and that's not really very helpful uh, i mean mm. i think you've got to put yourself no. in the shoes of the person you're talking to but yes generally speaking people are very generous with their time and very generous with their advice and um I think, yes, having the courage to ask for it is something that's learned because when you're starting out on with something new, you, of course, want the people you're engaging with um, to 
to feel that that you know what you're doing and that you know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um. So you know, there's yeah. a balance there, isn't there? Um. But there will always be certain things that you're better at than others. So leading yes, with the strengths that you have, and that might be that. You know, you're a powerful salesperson in the sense of your delivery is powerful or that you're good at public speaking and therefore you're good at getting your, you're getting your point across. But, um, or it might be that you're really good with the numbers side of things, but it's about, um, championing your strengths, but acknowledging when you don't know. And actually, in my experience, investors, um, will have a lot more confidence in somebody who, they see will ask for help when they need it rather than somebody who tries to say they know it all because nobody knows it all. And it doesn't matter how long you've been in business and how many uh, people you've met and how much mentoring you've done. Nobody knows it all. So, and I think it, so it is that balance of confidence, both in yourself and confidence to ask for help when you know that you need it. I think that it's interesting. It's almost like a dichotomy, isn't it? Or perceived dichotomy, which is you, um, we've just been talking about presenting and confidence and lack of imposter syndrome, but also true confidence comes from putting your hand up and say, oh, actually, this is not my area of you know expertise. I, I'd love to have your input or, or whatever it be. Okay. Um, well, we've covered lots of lots there and we've touched on subjects that we could go into in a huge amount of detail, but it's been fascinating to hear your story and how it's led into um, all that piece around advisory and coaching and mentoring. Um, I don't know if there is anything here, but there was something that we're asking everyone we speak to. I mean, is there anything now that you would look back and tell your 20 year old self that would help you or would have, you wish you'd known at that point? Yes. Well, I think Probably because it comes from experience, knowing to ask for help and knowing when you don't know. Yeah. Um, and I think when you are 20, you are fearful of um, looking like you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and um, <laughs> yes, I think <laughs> I think that I would say trust your gut, be courageous, but know when you don't know and don't be afraid to ask for help. That's very, very sound sage advice. And finally, where should people go to if they would like to reach out to you to find out either more about you and your leadership and your coaching business and and or indeed Tech Nordic Advocates? Where's the where can we direct people to? Yeah, so um I might have a website that tells a little bit about my services, um, which is inspirational solutions uh limited. And the website there is inspirational solutions ltd.com. But you can always find me on LinkedIn. There aren't very many other Solvies around. <laughs> Even if you put in fiddle, I think you'll find me. Yeah, um, probably fine. Absolutely. And um, yes, if you Google TNA, Tech Nordic Advocates, or you look at look at my the link on my um, on my LinkedIn, you'll find um, all the fantastic work that they're doing. And yeah, I mean, it, I always enjoy meeting new individuals who want to you know talk to somebody about advisory or mentorship or coaching and actually a sort of combination of all three often it's it's all in there yeah absolutely so many strings to your bow (laughs) okay thank you thank you kira it's been fantastic to chat i've been your host kira owen stay subscribed and join us for a new episode soon